Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of the series, This Is My Story. In this series, we take the infallible truths of Scripture and pair them with the powerful testimonies of God's people. We will see how our stories declare timeless truths about God. Brother Woody Jones, would you come up here very quickly and... um... We're going to have him read the scripture for today, and then right after Woody, we're going to hear the testimony of Chris Holt. Good morning. We're reading from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's talk a little bit about um, you. Tell us your name, Chris. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're here, and yes. I'm glad that um, you took the time to do this. I've known you for yep. a little while yes. now, and uh, you've even worked with me a little bit. Um, but other people might not know you, so tell us your name and tell us how old you are and um, <laughs> tell us where you're from. My name is Christopher Hope. No, I'm originally from Richmond, Virginia. Um, I grew up back and forth from Chesterfield, Richmond, to Fayetteville, North Carolina. I'm 40 years old. Uh, I basically grew up, you know, kind of rough. I grew up learning to play golf and I learned it. I grew up, um, like trying to do good in school. I had learning disabilities. I had emotional disabilities, uh, stuff like that. What was your childhood like? Uh, my childhood uh, was off and on. You had your good moments, your bad moments, your times where you had to be more grown than you were. Um, There's a lot of times where, you know, I felt alone through my childhood, so I would seek like friendship, I would seek uh, like girls or just try to be cool, try to fit in, just wanted somebody to feel noticed. I wanted to, you know, um, I was probably, I don't know, 13, 14, when I, when I first started smoking marijuana. Um, like, used to drink every day, used to, you know, roam the streets, just hang out with the so-called, what do you call it, thugs. Yeah. Um, I have a very dysfunctional family. Um, some of them believe in God. Some of them say they they do, but don't. And they get mad at me when I tell them that I'm in a better direction. That I'm attending small groups and stuff like that. Um, I had friends die. Friends get shot. Friends overdose. Um, friends go to jail. Um, 
So growing up for you was, was tough. Was tough. Yeah. Like, um, I always went to different family from my mom, my dad, my grandparents. Um, it was always go here, go here, go here. Where where's my next? Where I'm where I'm gonna be next? Um, Let me ask you. At, throughout your childhood. Um, did you were you ever involved in church or um, did you have any sort of relationship, you know, or introduction to God as a young kid? As a kid, I remember my grandma and my mom every night before bed, you know, we would get on our hands and knees and we would, you know, pray to Jesus and we would say, you know, um, God, thank you for blessing me, my uncle, my brother, my whole family member, my friends, um, before I went to bed. Um, there was times, off and on at dinner time, we would have prayer, not every time, but like Easter or Christmas or something like that, they would, somebody would say a little prayer. Um, and that depends on like if the family wasn't fighting, sure. there wasn't drama. Sure. Um, most time we were just lucky to have a peaceful meal. <laughs> to be honest with you, without argument, without some well, kind of drama. I'm telling you, Chris, I, there's probably people that are going to watch this and they're going to have some of the similar experiences. So they're going to be listening to this and say, "Yeah, I, I I know what that's like. I know what it's like not to have um, um, the greatest environment growing up, um, but I, I, I've made it here." When would you say, Chris, things started to a trend downward for you and and what did that rock bottom moment look like for you? Uh, I ended up basically telling everybody I was going to kill myself, that I was going to wrap my car around the tree. Um, I basically told everybody, you know, I'm done. I went to the doctor. The doctor put me on antidepressants. Antidepressants made me spin way out of control. I was then later on Diagnosis, undiagnosed bipolar. Um, I labeled with PTSD and obsessive PTSD, major depression, um, and, and, and anger problems. Um, so I've been in and out of mental hospitals. Um, so I've been going through 40 different psychiatrists, 40 different therapists, trying to find the right medicine. Yeah. Basically being a guinea pig on medicine. Um, and so through all that, drugs, a lot of emotional stuff going on inside you, a lot of hospitals, a lot of doctors, and a lot of things. Uh, life was you, you lost access to your kids, and uh, the relationship with your family was strained. Tell me about the moment that you ran into the Ascend Outreach Center for the first time and kind of got your first glimpse of a different story that could be yours? Uh, I was in the Snow White Hotel. Um, I had been staying there, me and a girlfriend of mine. Um, I had been trying to survive, been trying to, you know, live in hotels. You know, it's, it's hard life living in hotels. Um, I was, I had just, my car just got wrecked. Um, I was in the, I was in the hotel room and then next thing I know, you know, I was cussing, sad, crying, mad. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm losing everything. Um, next thing I know, I get a knock on the door. Um, 
AOC had was there with a box of food um, and some toiletries, and we had been. It was hard to eat at the time. Um, they invited me to come to the church, um, so I got on the bus. Me and my girlfriend um, got on the bus and went to the food pantry, and they had a service where I met Nick, Christy, um, and a few others. Um, became a church family. Um, when I met met Nick, and he had you know basically told me a story, and I felt like, wow, you're talking about me. Like I felt exactly like that. I felt exactly like that. And I started crying, and after that, I was like, Nick, can I have a word with you? And Nick gave me a number um, to call it when I need help. Um, two weeks later, I hadn't called Nick, but two weeks later, I had gotten to where I was mad, I was depressed, I was going back down my mental, my mental uh, failures, I should say. Um, I then called the number that Nick gave me. Uh, Lady Christie answered the phone. She talked to me, she calmed me down. Um, she let me know that Jesus was there for me, that I could put it all into Jesus' hands. Um, she then later invited me to go and serve with the hotel ministry. Um, I then started to serve out food and help different people that was living in the same situation I was. And I began to see different problems and different people, different situations, but I was able to relate to them and help certain people, at least talk to them and, and serve them food and, and be able to pray for them and, and help them. Um, I then came to realize that AOC became to be a close church family who got me plugged in with Carl Transformation Church. Um, there was one day we went to AOC and Nick was having a service and all of a sudden they said, we're baptizing. And I, was, and I asked Christy, what does that mean? And she said, it washes away your sins and you give your life to Jesus. And I said, okay, I want to do that. And I remember um, I stood in line I went up they I went up there and Nick and Pastor Nick and Pastor Doug, you know, said a prayer for me and they dunked me and they hugged me and they were so proud of me, telling me they admired my growth that I was learning. Um after that, um stuff went sideways. Um I ended up losing my license, losing my vehicle. I stopped coming back to church. Sure. I wanted to come to church, but couldn't drive. Um, as soon as I got a truck, and as soon as I got a license, the first thing I did was Christmas Day. I think, was it Christmas? Christmas Eve. Yeah. I pulled up, and Ian saw me, and he was so excited, like, <laughs> like your brother seen you. Like, oh my God, you made my day. And I was like, wow, people don't greet me like that. And I felt special and wanted, and I felt like, this is my family. Um, and so you gave your life to Christ yes. at the AOC, and they baptized you. Yes. And God changed your story. So you had this terrible kind of this story that, that didn't look so good. And then now today, what does life look like for Chris today? Life is growing. Because you're um, serving here at the church on Sundays. Life is growing for me. Um... I learned how to pray more. I learned, I'm le I learned the Bible. 
I attended in small group. Um, I'm talking to different people. Um, life has changed for me for knowing, learning how, knowing how to pray, knowing that I don't have to walk with burden no more. No, I can give it all to Jesus. Um, mm. Knowing that now that everything I do, I'm cautious because you know everything He did for me, like I, I don't deserve it. So everything I do, I try to do the right, try to say the right, try to remember. Try to honor him. To pray the right way, try yeah. to do the best I can to live as closely like him. Um, For those watching today, because um, I think this is huge, What if you could give them one message of how God can change your story, what, what message would you tell them? We all chase... We always try to make plans that ain't in God's viewing. And this moment you try to take life in your hands, it's not yours to begin with. God makes a plan. So everything that you try to plan, everything you try to schedule, it's always going to fall through because it's not planned for you. Um, you always want to succeed. You always want to do the best. But at the end of the day, God going to walk whatever path. He's going to change it for you. He's going to put you back in the spotlight. He's going to help you, you know, reconnect with your family, loved ones. He's going to help you love yourself. He's going to help you know that you're worth it, even though we're not. But he gives me the strength to go every day through pain and everything. And if you just believe in God and you just give it all to him, he, he'll do anything you want. Like, Man, that is powerful. He'll show you the right direction to go. Yeah. If you put your heart in the people, people will fail you. Put your heart in Jesus, he'll never let you down. He will always, always love you no matter what. Man, Chris, I'm going to have you come in here and preach on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I was scared you were going to have you up on the microphone. <laughs> well, listen, I love you, man. And I'm so yes, glad sir. that you're here. You serve on our teams. I, I, I think you're going to Memphis, too. Yes, you're planning on Memphis. going to Memphis mission trip. And Every God month. is... First mission trip. Yeah, first mission trip. So listen, we love you. I know T-Church loves you. Um, and I'm praying today that somebody hears this and realizes that God can change. And I, I like to tell everybody, whatever situation you're in, whether you're hotel, whether you're on the streets, whether you're being on drug addiction, whether you're being beaten, whether you feel like you got nobody to talk to, Talk to God and find plug into a church family. They will be there for you like nobody else. Whatever situation you are, there's people that care. There's resources out there that will be there to help you when you feel like nobody is there for you. There's people out there. Like, get all the help you need. Do all, everything you can, but trust in God and pray to him, talk to him, have a relationship with him. Um, Amen. Amen. Brother, I love you. Thank you for being here. Thank all you. right? Thank you. That's it. I said I you, do gotta use the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I drink a lot of water here when I was saying Thank you, friend. Man, I don't care who you are. If that doesn't stir something inside you, whether you know Jesus or not, I'm I'm down here on the front row just just whole, I was like, I got to preach this sermon. I can't be up here just sobbing in front of all these people. But I remember, Chris, where you at? Chris, y'all look, 
Y'all give Chris a hand. One, it, it is so courageous to do this. You know how courageous it is to, just to bear yourself in front of the whole church. And he did it gladly um, and for one reason only, to point people to Jesus. There is something so powerful that we're going to talk about today with the thought that God can change how your story ends. God can change how your story ends. The big idea is that the person you were in the past does not dictate the end of your story. And we're going to see that in Scripture. Turn in your Bibles, if you're already there, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I remember the first time I met Chris, it was on a Thursday night, and um, he was serving alongside me at the hotels, and I, he was walking from where he lived at the Snow White up the street to the Ascend Church, and then he would go out and serve the very same motel that he lived in, and then when, when Thursday night was over and we had finished serving the motels, he would walk right back down the street to his hotel room, sharing the message that Christ can change your story. Sharing the, the message, sharing his own story. Last week we talked out of Psalm 139 that God is the author. Everybody say author. He is writing, he is the one who has written your story. He's the one with the pen. And we said last week that your story is a result of God's love for you. And today, we're here to say that the person you were in the past does not dictate your story's ending. And so very quickly, I want to kind of walk through these three verses. Because some of you probably, when... Uh, Brother Jones was up here reading this earlier, like, whoa, where is this going? This is intense. Um, but how many of you know that you can't pick and choose which scriptures you like and just throw away the rest? You know this to be true. Um, so if God is the author of our stories, how does, how does our story change? Well, this scripture here in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, tells us a couple things, and we're going to talk about three things this morning and how God changes our story. One uh, is our inheritance, our future inheritance. Number two is our old identity, and number three is our new identity. Everybody say, new me. Number one, our future inheritance. Let's look here at verse nine. Do you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul, who is writing this letter to the Corinthian church, the church in Corinth, asked a very big question. Don't you realize? How many of you have ever had someone 
come to you with this same introduction. Hey, don't you, don't you get it? Don't you realize? Because you were oblivious to something, right? Well, Paul here uh, is asking this very serious question, um, but we've seen him ask this before. So all through his letters, he's asking this, and it means you know something, but you have seemed to forgotten it. How many of you forget? Oh, okay, so we're just gonna lie in church? That's fine. I know you need prayer, but... But what Paul is trying to emphatically press on us is that this is crucial. And the very first thing he says that is so crucial is that people who sin, people who do wrong, people who are immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. And no one likes to talk about this in church because it makes us very uncomfortable. It makes us very uncomfortable. Sin should make you uncomfortable. Some have said, Carl, you should steer away from being so blunt about sin. You know, you, maybe you should have a softer, kind of just caressing type relationship with sin. You know, you don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. Can I tell you today that if someone walks in this service who has never been here before and is far from God, while I want them to be, feel loved, I want them to feel the love here, I want them to feel the compassion, I also want them to feel the uncomfortableness of their current spiritual situation. Ooh, you should feel uncomfortable with your current spiritual situation. Sin should bother you. And that, I think that's, a, that's another sermon, and I can't go there right now because I think we have a lot of Christians that just want to tolerate sin. And that is not Scripture's viewpoint of sin. Okay? Scripture's viewpoint of sin is if you dance with it, you die with it. Okay? If you dance with it, you die with it. And the penalty of sin is death. What you get paid for when you sin is death. Okay? But the beautifulness of this text is that that isn't the whole story. It isn't the whole story. And there is something to lose out on. It's an inheritance. The Bible says here, uh, the wicked, the wrong, the sinful will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this word inherit um, just simply means to take possession of, Okay. There is something that is to be taken possession of. And then this word kingdom of God just refers to the kingdom of God as his God's reign and God's rule. But notice this is a, Paul is phrasing this as a warning. He's writing to this church, a church he was involved in starting. And he is saying, hey, red light, caution on the play. Okay, warning, warning, warning. And if you leave here today, I need you to understand two things. The, 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 the seriousness of sin. <laughs> and at the very same time, the allness of Jesus. The completeness of Jesus. I need you to leave with both. But he phrases this as a warning, 
And he's saying, don't miss this. It matters who you are. It matters whose you are. Don't miss that. It matters whose you are. What am I saying? How many of you have ever seen The Princess Diaries? All right. Okay. You know what? Crowd engagement today is off, and I'm really kind of bummed about it. I hope it's because you're convicted, okay? I just hope it's because you're convicted, and I'm okay to preach through that. In The Princess Diaries, there's a, there's a, there's a girl... I think it's Mia Thermopolis, okay? San Franciscan, okay? She grew up in San Francisco. Well, she finds out that she's a princess, okay? She's just living this like lowly existence kind of day-to-day normal kind of life. And it, she receives news that she is royalty, and, and we've seen lots of movies like this. We've seen lots of movies where somebody comes into an inheritance that they didn't know about or, or they, they come into this knowledge that they are more than they thought they were, okay? And so the whole movie, is, it's kind of goofy, it's funny, it's clean, you can watch it. Because um, some of y'all are like, oh, you watch something other than, okay, yeah, yeah, judge me. Um, this young girl the, the funniness of the film is that she is trying to acclimate to being royal because her life prior was anything but royal, okay? It was goofy, it was awkward. And so the, the movie is funny because she is learning how to walk like someone who is royal. And so what Paul is saying right here is some of us have forgotten to walk as if we don't know whose we are. There's a reason that the inheritance is important. Because you were bought with a price. Paul would also say that. Do you not realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? There is an identity issue there. You belong to the Lord and you should walk out your life as if, that, as if you have realized that. You realize you'll walk differently when you... When your position changes, you will. You'll walk differently. So who are these unrighteous people? What is Paul trying to get out here? And let me say just a couple things about what this is not. This is not a comprehensive list of all sins, okay? These are high-level, it's 10, high-level issues that the people in Corinth specifically were dealing with. And so Paul is addressing these things very uh, specifically, but it's broad-ranging. And he's not saying that that this is comprehensive, or he's not saying it's a shock that these people are sinful. The problem is he's talking about people who are living in ongoing unrepentant sin. Ongoing, unrepentant sin. What is that? That is sin that you know is sin, you refuse, and in fact, indulge in. 
for a lot of us this morning, you don't talk about that. And, and, um, and a lot of it would be in closets, so nobody really knows about it, knows that you feel that way or think those thoughts or... Um, because it's real easy to fool us here. You know that. You know this. You can fool me. I've been fooled. I've been played for a fool many, many times. And sometimes I, I am actually just a fool. Um, but I found that it, it wasn't a joke, but you can laugh at it. That's fine. I got a couple of Snickers over here for some reason. I don't know what that, that's about. Um, you can fool us. You cannot fool God, okay? Much, much different. And today, if there is an ongoing sin issue in your life that you refuse to deal with, Paul's talking to you, okay? Paul's talking to you. Sin is to be taken seriously, so our inheritance, who we are, whose we are matters. Number two, our old identity. Paul starts diving into the old man, the old identity. What he says earlier was, do you not know? And then he says, do not be deceived. Some of your scriptures are going to say, uh, don't fool yourselves. Don't let the world tell you something different. Don't let your deceptive heart tell you something different. Don't be deceived. Sin isn't tolerable. In fact, if we jump back just a chapter into uh, 5 verse 11, he mentions some of these same things. He says uh, in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 11, he said, I, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone, listen, anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges and then he lists some sins. Sexual sin, greedy, worship idols, is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with these people. Who are these people? These are people within the church that say, hey, I follow Jesus. I'm a believer, but I'm going to live a life of sin and be unrepentant of it. And this is why a lot of people outside of the church don't want to come to church because there ain't nothing different about some of you throughout the week. There's nothing different. So why would they want to come to church? The Bible, Paul tells us here in 511 not to even eat with these people, not to associate with people who say, hey, I belong to Jesus, but I'm going to live however I want, and I'm going to indulge in it, I'm going to live in it, and unrepentantly so. Sin is serious. Sin is serious. And in fact, a life of ongoing, unrepentant sin would say that you, do, you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life. Which is going to be a shock to some because you thought you were saved because you grew up in church. Or because your parents were Christian and dragged you to Sunday school. I think, I wonder sometimes if there's more unsaved people in church than outside of church. This is harder to preach than I thought it was gonna be. Sin isn't tolerable for the Christian. 
And if you're putting up with it and, and, and just trying to white-knuckle it, control it yourself, okay? Been there, done that. The Lord is calling you today to put it to death. And so he lists a couple categories here. There's two categories. One is sexual sin, and the other is general sin. Let's look at these. Um, the sexual sin kind of falls in this category. Uh, we see in 6, uh, it kind of starts here in verse 9 at the end. It says, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, okay, this is where we get the word uh, pornania, pornography, okay, this covers a lot of different sexual sins. And you guys should be comfortable talking about sex now because we just spent a whole month on sex last month. So you should be okay talking about this. Um, well, we talked about the, the good side of it. We won't actually admit to the fact that we struggle with these other things, um, but I would say there's a freedom waiting for you in Christ. Who's ever watching today, who's ever in this service, there is freedom for you in Christ. Idolatry. There are some commentators that would isolate idolatry out from sexual sin, but if you look into the Corinthian church, what you find is that idolatry and weaving things, whether wood or metal, they would make idols, and it was a part of that sexual immorality. It was in the worship of these idols that sexual immorality was prevalent. So in idolatry, what is idolatry? They, get, they gave themselves over to the worship of other gods to try and find their security for their joy, their peace, their satisfaction. They're trying to find their completeness severed from God, away from God. And can I, can I pause just a moment to say, many of you would listen to this message today and say, oh, that's not me, pastor. I'm no sexual idolater. If we read through these and you say, oh, no, that's not me. Paul's writing this whole text here to include everybody. So you're going to fall into one of these. You're going to fall into one of these because uh, in this life, sinfulness is flesh is something you're going to wrestle with until it's, we see its completion when Christ returns, okay? I have some friends that think you can achieve perfection here on earth. Scripture would say otherwise. You're going to wrestle with it. Idolatry, drunkards, substance abuse is sinful. Revilers, a reviler is someone who is violent or abusive or threatening in their speech or their conduct. Greedy. This is covetousness, a heart that is characterized by ongoing desire for more. Swindlers, somebody who doesn't outright rob someone, they just take advantage of people. They're deceptive. Adulterers, that's pretty plain Jane there. Outside of their marriage, they engage in sexual activity. And for those of you who think that that's not prevalent, it is rampant. It's rampant. In 2021, I do want to, I'm, I'm going to preach this very directly. But for those who would say, because churches are splitting over this left and right, the Southern Baptist Church being one of them. 
so this lands at home, that homosexuality is sin. Okay? Homosexuality is sin. Same-sex desires are not of God. And for those who would, there are so many churches that would say, oh, well, that's not what it's meant here. It's not, you know, it was, it was cultural, it was this, it was that. No, Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. The Old Testament talks about it, obviously, but people discredit the Old Testament and say, oh, well, Jesus never said anything. Yes, he did. Homosexuality is sinful. Let me say two things in regards to that. Um, Christians are so hateful towards the homosexuality, homosexual, LGBTQIA community. Hateful. And if there was one thing I think Jesus would frown upon, it is the castawayness that the church has treated those with same-sex desire. Something that we have said, you need to keep this under wraps, don't talk about it. Now Paul here includes it, practicing homosexuality, it says male prostitutes, that word male prostitutes just means effeminate, okay? There's the passive, there's the, the active there in the homosexual, but In this text, if we miss this, it's very important to not miss. It is listed amongst a plethora, not elevated above, a plethora of other sin that is just as weightiness as your pride. Okay, so just as sinful as same-sex desires are, and that, that aren't, well, same-sex desires aren't sinful, it's the act that is sinful, okay? Um, but same-sex desires don't come from the Lord. So, so, but your desire to be prideful is just as weighty, okay? So it's very ambiguous for you to really harp on, oh, we need to, and look, I have Christian friends that do this on the constant. Let's harp on the LGBTQ community and show no love, grace, and compassion for the same grace that saved you. Okay? They are sons. They are daughters. I have people in my family who are in that community. They represent something. They, they represent a soul and an image bearer of God. Okay? So why am I caveating all this? Because the church has a history of just being hateful. The church has a history of being hateful. Now, in this particular instance, Paul is talking to Christians. He's talking to the church. Who's Paul talking to? It, Paul would be talking to you. Let's look at some of these others. We see greediness, drunkenness, abusiveness, cheating people. And then Paul says this in verse 11. He takes a turn here. He takes a turn. We talked about our inheritance. We talked about our old identity. 
And then he takes a turn. In verse 11, he says, some of you were once like that. Some of your versions will say, such were some of you. Very quickly, because it's real easy to be a Christian and say, oh, yeah, that's good preaching, pastor. You know, preach tough against sin and refuse to see the sinfulness in yourself. Oh, yeah. Well, amen all day long while we're preaching about somebody else's sin, but then, preacher, don't talk about my sin or this doesn't apply to me. It does apply to you. Such were some of you. Paul is making a big statement here. He's preaching to ex-pedophiles and ex-homosexuals and people um, who were adulterers, people who were greedy and once cheated other people. They were these things. And something happened. Something changed. Our new identity. Such were some of you. He was looking at the people of Corinth. Some of you were sitting in the pews, ongoingly, unrepentantly sinning. Practicing these things. It characterized their lives. This is who you once were but it's not who you are now. This is how your story once read, but your story has changed. Look at verse 11. Some of you were once like that. One of the most powerful phrases right here in Scripture, but you were cleansed. You were washed. You were made holy. You were made right with God. Uh, some of your versions are going to say washed, sanctified, justified. And actually, in the Greek, it's more rep- repetitious than that. Um, in the Greek, it would read, but you were washed, but you were also sanctified, but you were also justified. Okay, so Paul is emphatically saying, hey, this is where you once were. This was your story. This was you. And then you were washed. And as I stood, sat here this morning, and I watched Chris, I began to look back on my own wicked soul. And I said, I once was lost. Now I found I was blind. Now I see. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Paul is screaming to the top of his lungs. Don't miss that your life has changed. This text is falling amongst a really weird passage where evidently in Corinth, people were suing each other within the church. So the, the, the text previous to this, beginning of 6, 1 through here and uh, through 8, uh, he's saying, why are you suing each other? Why, why are you taking two um, unbelievers in court issues that you have within yourself? 
We don't conduct ourselves that way. We don't conduct ourselves that way. And then he begins to list, hey, this is what you once were. You're starting to act like what you once were. You need to begin acting like you've been washed, like you've been sanctified, that you've been justified. What does this mean? Washed. This idea that all the guilt, all the sin has been washed away. When I gave my life to Jesus and I made him Lord, it wasn't for a ticket to heaven. It was because I realized I was a sinner in need of a savior. It was because the Holy Spirit brought me from death to life. And he washed me clean. And honestly, that's what we do in baptism. Here in a few weeks, we're gonna have Easter, um, and, and when you get baptized, it's just an external, it, it doesn't wash anything away. We hope that you take a shower before baptism Sundays. I mean, I'm just going to air that out. Please do that. Also, please wear dark clothing. It's also important. But baptism is an outward and external sign of the washing that the blood of Jesus has done on the inside of you. Do we wrestle with sin in this life post-salvation? Yes. But it is no longer king of my heart. Jesus is king of my heart. He is the one I've given over control to. So if your walk with Christ, let me check my time. I don't want to run over here. Oh yeah, I'm way over. The band can come back. I want y'all to meet Corey and Emily, okay? Some of you may not come back. Some of you watching online may say, oh. Here's another bigoted preacher. Can I just testify for two seconds? that I have seen the sinfulness he will wash away, not just in others, right here. And he continues to wash and clean. And the closer, here's the thing, the closer I get to Jesus, the more light he sheds on my soul, okay? And the more critters crawl out. Yeah. The more critters that crawl out. Thank God. Thank God, the closer I get to him, the more like him I become. It's possible, because that's what we call sanctification. We talked about washed, sanctified. The word sanctified means to be set apart. It means to be made holy. But in this particular, it's an ongoing process. We see it all through scripture. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we are being made into his image one degree of glory to the next. It is one little turn at a time towards Jesus, towards his image. But in this particular instance, we are talking about a sanctification that happens at one time. We're talking about that when we surrender our lives to Jesus, there is a righteousness that is imputed to us that is not ours to begin with.
that what Jesus did on the cross was complete. And lastly, he says, you were washed, you were sanctified, justified is the third term Paul uses. There's two things at work here in justification. Two things at work. One is forgiveness. That I could tell you all the stories of my life where I have fallen short, that things weren't working out for me, things weren't working out for my family. I could tell you stories of my sinfulness, my backwardness towards God, my rebellion against the Savior of my soul. But my, I can truly say this morning that my story has changed. Can I tell you that I was bound for hell? Yeah. And we, we oftentimes, the longer we're saved, we forget. I almost feel like I should say, like Paul says, don't you know? You know this. Why have you forgotten? But you were bound for hell. Eternal separation from God. And he forgave you of your sins. He, he found you. He found you and he loved you right where you were. I don't care what sin you think I pressed on your buttons today. I don't care what, where you find yourself. Christ can find you right where you're at. You don't have to clean up a thing. That's what he does. Christ does the cleaning. Yeah. You can come in here however you are. However you are. And you're going to be welcomed with open arms by people who have been saved by grace. But not only does this justified term point to forgiveness, we've been forgiveness, uh, we've been forgiven, we've been absolved. But not just have we been forgiven, it doesn't bring us back to a neutral line. We have, in Christ Jesus, also encountered righteousness because of him. We, we are brought from a negative place, not only to neutral, but we have been counted completely righteous in Jesus Christ. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified. There are many today who may be watching this and say, hey, I fall into some of these categories where does that leave me? Let me tell you where it leaves you. With the same hope that everyone else in this room has. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And wherever your story is today, the ending can be different. We found out last week what? We found out we are ambassadors of conviction. No, no, the Bible doesn't say it's your job to convict people. You remember this? That's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit convicts. Some of you think you should be the Holy Spirit for other people and you should not. That is the Holy Spirit's job. We are ambassadors, as Paul said, of reconciliation. 
We should be making bridges, not burning them. Making bridges with sinful people because we remember what we have been saved from. And so two things I want you to pray today. One, how can you build a bridge of hope and help be an active agent of story changing so that people can come from these motels and be just like Chris and be saved and baptized and sanctified and justified and his name written down in glory and now he's standing at the door greeting other sinners into the kingdom. But then also, Christian, hear me. Sinner, there is hope for you in Jesus Christ. Number two, Christian, hear me. You need to be taking the sin in your life seriously. And you shouldn't be tolerating it or saying, oh, well, Jesus loves me, this I know, and grace, and, and, and just... Waving it over. This is not the posture of a Christian. All those things I just said were true. A Christian takes sin seriously and puts it to death. How do you put sin to death? I'll tell you the very first way. Some of you, I don't know if you'll have the the boldness to do it, but what does the Bible say to do? The Bible says to confess your sin one to another. I dare you. You struggling with sin today? Call me. Call me. And we'll wrestle that and put it down together through the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your presence here. I'm thankful today that our stories can change. That things can be different. That I can be broke and disgusted and sinful and at the lowest point in my life and it's at that point that you can find me bring me to life and declare your glory among the nations to declare your goodness amongst sinful people there is truly hope in you that our story does not have to end the way it currently is or how it started. You are the ultimate story changer. We love you. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.